Greetings from Hannibal, Missouri. And welcome to Rivertown Review, the podcast. An informative and hopefully entertaining look at all things Hannibal. With Megan Rapp. People tend to come, visit, they like it here, they move here. And Harold Smith. In our biased viewpoint, this part of the country, this community, is an excellent place to be from. And now, Rivertown Review, the podcast. It is episode 10 of the Hannibal Rivertown Review podcast. I am Harold Smith. And I'm Megan Rapp. And uh, you may notice that Megan sounds a little different this morning, but uh, that's okay because Megan is uh, is at an, uh, I was going to say an undisclosed location, but eh, not necessarily. Megan's on the road this morning. I, I am on the road, yes. Occasionally, the, you know, the day job calls and I'm uh, you know, around 35 miles outside of Kansas City, but not not talking and driving. And no. um, also, you know, I'm not going to miss this guest, so I will call in um, at the at the, uh, the the expense of maybe sounding like I'm coming from a tin can because I'm really excited about this podcast. Uh, indeed, and uh, and and we always want to uh, thank uh, those of you who have chosen to join us uh, and as we say episode 10 uh, an, another milestone we make it to double digits uh, on the Rivertown Review podcast and wherever you found us we thank you uh, and uh, and building on a theme that Megan started last week we want to thank you all for the for the uh, tens and tens the plethora of reviews that we have received uh, on uh, whatever uh, medium you have found us whether it's iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play Music or where, whatever it might be just the 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 reviews just continue to pour in. We are we are we are awash in reviews, <laughs> which is very apt considering this is Rivertown Review. I would that's hope right. we would be awash in something, and and reviews would uh, you know that's that's a great thing. You know the more the more reviews we get, uh, the more feedback we get, the the higher we get up in the rankings, so that we're hoping other folks can find us and and enjoy us like uh, like our listeners. Indeed. All right. Let us uh, get to uh, get to our guest this morning. Uh, uh, let's say good morning to. Uh, I say good morning. It might be morning where you are, or it might not. That's uh, another joy of podcasting. Uh, John Wingate is with us. John, good morning. Good morning. And uh, as we say, this uh, we're we're uh, cutting edge because uh, instead of the uh, the guest being on the phone and the host being in studio, we have, have flipped the script on that. Uh, John Wingate is an author, and uh, John is uh, uh, is one of those who uh, is originally from this area, uh, left the area along the way, but uh, has written a book uh, about an event uh, that got Hannibal some uh, some, uh, 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 and I've used the term sad notoriety uh, a little over fifty years ago. The book is entitled "Lost Boys of Hannibal." Inside America's Largest Cave Search. Uh, and, uh, John, uh, uh, this is, is something that uh, you and I are approximately the same age. Megan, I'm sure with your uh, uh, history background uh, that you have, uh, uh, have uh, learned uh, about the Lost Boys of Hannibal, that uh, saga along the way. Most certainly, and, and I, I do want to point out that I think that, that John has taken a path um, you know, started by Mark Twain, and, and since then, um, you know, Molly Brown, William Lear, many of our other Hannibal greats. You, you grow up in Hannibal, 
you go out, you make your way in the world, you rack up um, many accolades, which I know John has done even before writing this book. Um, and so I'm, I'm definitely going to want you to give us a little bit of history, John. But yes, uh, this is one of those um, maybe tales, tales known by folks that, that live in the Hannibal area. Um, but as many events, um, the passage of time creates, uh, creates that, that layer of memory story that should not be forgotten. And, and John, you've done a, a fantastic job of, of writing this book about, um, about this uh, huge uh, nationally known manhunt uh, for, for these lost boys. And um, we're just very excited to have you on. Talk about uh, what you bring to the table, the, your background uh, that uh, led you to, uh, to uh, authoring The Lost Boys of Hannibal. Well, I'm a former journalist in broadcasting. I was in radio for a couple of years and then TV and uh, for 16 years in um, Macomb, Decatur, Peoria, Minneapolis. And my last uh, TV job was at KSTP in Minneapolis. I was the consumer reporter. And I got out of the business in the 90s. I wanted to kind of stretch my wings and do something else. So I became a communications consultant working with uh, nonprofit organizations and businesses, uh, PR, marketing, fundraising, that sort of thing. And that's what I've been doing since. Uh -huh. so, so how long uh, did it take uh, to get from the, the beginnings of, yeah, I really ought to do something about Lost Boys of Hannibal and uh, the book actually coming out? Well, I started, uh, the genesis of the thought came to me in 1998 when I was up on uh, Lover's Leap, and I saw that marker to the three boys up there. And uh, mm -hmm. I thought, you know, this has to be remembered. This is a, a history story that cannot be forgotten. We've always got to remember these three boys. And at the time, my daughter, uh, Anya, was uh, an infant, and now she's with us in studio. She's 19 and a sophomore in college, so that shows the passage of time. <laughs> But it, hey, it, it was intermittent. I was gonna, oh, I was going to say, Mark Twain didn't start writing about Hannibal until he was 45. So, you know, it, sometimes it, good ideas just take a while. They just take a while. You got to let them. You like got to let them sit there and and uh, and stew and and become you know become full complete ideas. That's really true. And and uh, I stayed with this over the years, uh, juggling you know family and my business and. Um, but finally, it just, you know, last year was the 50th year, so I said, okay, I've got to do this. So January to June, I, I just wrote the book. It's a story that's really uh, close to me because I was 13 years old at the time, and the, the two Hogue boys, uh, who were, you know, Joel Hogue and his younger brother Billy, uh, went missing along with uh, Craig Dowell, their neighbor. neighbor. And uh, Joel and I were in uh, elementary school together at Stoll for several years, and uh, we were good friends, played together. So... Um, when this happened, it was a really calamitous time. Um, people knew Hannibal from Mark Twain and Mark Twain Cave. And, of course, Missouri is the, the cave state with 7,300 caves identified currently. So when this happened, it was this um, tragic overlay to all of this great Missouri history. And um, it really was a historical story that had to be told. So uh, I launched into this uh, several years ago doing a lot of research and tracking down uh, individuals who'd participated in the uh, event and the search, uh, including many cavers. And um, finally just put my uh, thoughts to paper uh, over four months last year to finally get this thing done and, and get it out for the 50th anniversary of this event that took place in May of 1967. And, uh, and, and oh, go ahead, go ahead, Megan. Oh, 
I was going to say just very briefly, um, if you could, uh, you know, kind of give us give us a recap of exactly what we we've mentioned the manhunt. Um, if you can tell us um, uh, kind of what what happened, what what was this manhunt um, all about? What was the search in in these caves in, like you said, the cave state of Missouri? Well, in spring of 1967, they were doing a lot of dynamiting to uh, extend and improve Highway 79 as kind of a tourism gateway between Hannibal and St. Louis. And um, during this construction, uh, the heavy equipment uh, scraped open the top of these uh, cave passages that uh, were right below Lover's Leap on Hannibal's south side. Um, this was a complex maze cave system uh, that had never been identified before, but had for millennia uh, been part of the system probably connected with uh, Mark Twain Cave and Murphy's Cave to the north. So. Um, once the three boys saw these cave openings, it was an irresistible lure, and they were jumping into these caves and exploring the passages uh, the two previous evenings, uh, May 8th and May 9th. And then on the afternoon of May 10th, they were last seen uh, at about 5.15, uh, right above this, this road construction area watching the activity. Um, and then they were never seen again, they just vanished. And uh, it was the largest uh, cave search in U.S. history and the only time that cavers were unable to find the parties that were being sought. Mm. Yeah, they, uh, wow. did you say people literally came from all over the world to, to assist in this search? There were cavers from California, from Washington, D.C., uh, a lot of cavers from uh, Illinois and Missouri um, that came here, and many of them spent several weeks uh, going underground in very, very dangerous conditions, uh, you know, taking their own life in their hands. I know you were telling me a story. We uh, did uh, a, a segment for the radio here before we started this. Uh, there were some cavers that uh, uh, literally, as soon as they got in there, they looked around at the, the surroundings and the, the state of things, and they, they knew they were in trouble and they needed to get out of there. That's right. Uh, initially, the search focused on Murphy's Cave, which is uh, next to Bear Creek in Ides Hill. And this is uh, on the south side uh, at uh, Walnut and Birch Streets. And it's now covered up and covered with trees. But um, the boys had been seen at that location at 4.30 the afternoon of May 10th. And um, the previous two evenings, they'd been three blocks south at the road cut going into those caves. So because they had been seen by some kids at Murphy's Cave at 4.30, that was where the search kind of began. And only later did they discover that they had been seen later at the Roadcut Cave. Uh, and then the, the search moved down there. So there were these two concurrent searches underway three blocks apart for several weeks. And it was really a race against time uh, process because they knew that the boys had no food or water with them. And in those 52 degree temperatures, uh, the likelihood of them being alive beyond three days was very, very slim. So uh, a gentleman from the Washington, D.C. area, William Karras, who headed the Speleological Society of America, flew in with his team on Air Force Two. And uh, he led the search for uh, several weeks. And uh, when those cavers went into the road cut system that had been in this area heavily dynamited, to move all these millions of tons of earth and rock, um, they knew they were in trouble because all of the uh, limestone passages were just cracked, you know, 
from the destruct, destruction of the dynamite. So uh, they knew that a lot of these areas were prone to instant collapse. So they knew they were in a very dangerous situation and, and that if the boys had gone into this system, again, there's a high likelihood something calamitous happened. So it was a really uh, dangerous situation. Thank you for joining us for the Hannibal Rivertown Review Podcast. We'll get back to the show in just a moment. We want to remind you that if you like what you're hearing, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. Also, for comments and suggestions, you can email us at rivertownreview at gmail.com and visit us at rivertownreview.com and Rivertown Review on Facebook. So as you say, the, the search began. They were last seen uh, on May the 10th. 10th. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the search lasted for about how long? About four weeks. Uh, It was very, very intense for the first two weeks. And then uh, Karras flew back. And then the uh, Hogue and Dowell families uh, requested that he come back and resume the search. And he did, out of respect for the families. And uh, it continued on, but but nothing was ever found. Yeah. And the... the conspiracy theory i shouldn't say conspiracy theories but theory there were all kinds of theories uh that evolved from that as far as uh, what ultimately happened to those boys yeah one of the theories was that well a rumor was that john wayne gacy the notorious serial killer who killed 33 uh, young boys in the chicago area in the 1970s uh, there was a rumor that he was on the road construction crew at the time and that wasn't the case. Uh, in May of 67, Gacy was um, managing some Kentucky Fried Chicken restaurants for his father-in-law in uh, Waterloo, Iowa, which is a four-hour drive from Hannibal. And uh, Cook County Sheriff's Police have continued all these years to try to continue to identify the, the uh, remains of Gacy's victims. And they've identified all but six of the boys. Well. Uh, the sheriff's deputies in Chicago know that uh, Gacy was a meticulous uh, uh, documenter of his travels and his expenses, and they know that he was uh, about 40 miles from Hannibal. <coughs> excuse me, in the uh, spring of 1967. Uh, we don't know why he was down here, but it, it's another interesting fact in this whole scenario. Um, later. Uh, one of the Hogue boys' relatives uh, secured the dental records from the three boys, and they were sent to Chicago, but uh, they did not match any of Gacy's known victims. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and there, I mean, were there, were there theories that the boys might somehow have escaped all of that? Did, did, did that ever, was that ever a conjecture about that, that they somehow got out? Um, there were theories that the boys ran off, but the nature of these boys uh, was that they always came home for supper. You know, they played in the hills close to home, but they always came home. They were responsible kids. And um, there was a rumor that they'd been seen hitchhiking uh, near St. Louis uh, the weekend after they went missing, and someone saw three muddy boys that, quote-unquote, you know, met the description of the three boys. Uh, police and state troopers were dispatched to try to find them, and they finally tracked down uh, two men, 19-year-olds from Cape Girardeau, who had been hitchhiking, and uh, it, of course, wasn't the Lost Boys. It was two other men. Yeah, and uh, of course, 
John, you have done, as you alluded to, extensive research uh, for, for a number of years. Uh, and uh, you you have your own theory, uh, and a, a theory shared by others as far as what ultimately happened to the Lost Boys. Right. When you look at all the facts uh, closely and uh, interview the top cavers who were participating in this event, um, <clears throat> they were pretty clear on a likely scenario. Um, at the road cut, the outlying passages towards... Uh, what was a Southside Christian Church there across the road from the Lover's Leap Hill, those are very unstable. And um, typically, maze caves have a shale layer above to keep it dry and pretty intact. Uh, but in a lot of these passages, the, the shale had fallen down over the years or eons or maybe yesterday. We oh. didn't know. Um, and there was just clay. Well, with rainfall and environmental conditions, that made it very, very unstable. And um, uh, boys being boys, we know they had a shovel. So it could have been as simple as uh, them trying to use a shovel to pick at the ceiling, perhaps to dig a way out to the surface. And um, all of it came down in a huge, massive breakdown, tons of rock. So so, they, so ultimately, we figure they're, they're whatever is left of these boys is, is still there. Well, it's a theory, yeah. uh, but a lot of these passages, and this was one of the challenges of this whole search, um, these maze caves are so complex with the, just a crisscross intersection, kind of a latticed uh, layout, uh, passages going every direction. Many of them were filled in, and you know you never knew if it happened a day or two ago or 200 million years ago. Uh, and a lot of these, it was such tight conditions that uh, it was impossible for them to g dig into all of these filled passages. And frankly, many of them were too small for the adult cavers. And the whole environment was so dangerous, they, they surely wouldn't send children in to go into these small passages. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and again, as I say, you, uh, you, of course, you were especially close to this because you, you knew the boys. Uh, I was in the area at, at the time as well. I think, as, as I say, as we've talked about before, you and I are approximately the same age, uh, so I, I remember this very well. Uh, and to, I mean, a, a parent's worst nightmare uh, is is to lose children, but to have never had the closure that they had. That That's the most painful part of all this, not having closure, not having a grave to go to. Um, and it was a very traumatic time, and, and frankly, a lot of us carried that trauma over the decades. Uh, I've always come to Hannibal because I have relatives here, and every time I'm here, I drive over there and think about the boys. You know, what happened? Where, where are you? Um, so one reason I wrote the book was to, um, to really uh, bring some closure, hopefully, and uh, let people truly understand the, the nature of these maze caves so that they really understand what happened. Uh, over the half century, there was so much misinformation that emerged, gossip and all that, that I really wanted to try to doc document this story in as accurate a way as possible after 50 years. And uh, so people kind of have a true understanding of what may have happened. Yeah, yeah we, we talk about uh, closure in that case. John, I, I've shared this story with you. Megan, I don't know that I've ever shared this with you. Um, a, a couple of years after this took place, uh, I had two younger brothers, and we uh, lived over in the uh, uh, 
uh, in the river bottoms uh, between Kinderhook and Hull, and there was a uh, a creek. And uh, my younger brothers, I was almost 16, they were 12 and 10, uh, and they loved to go wading in the creek. And uh, one day uh, they had built, they had uh, dug out a diversion channel to where the bank went off uh, into the water and it dropped off. And uh, as near as we can figure, uh, my brothers uh, went waiting one day and uh, did not know that that diversion channel dropped off. And uh, they both, uh, well, one walked off. We figure one walked off and the other one went in after him. Uh, this was 1969 uh, that that took place. And uh, I, I, I tell that story uh, because at, I remember at the time as uh, we were saying goodbye, uh, we, uh, there were people that compared our situation with the situation of the lost boys because we had closure. We had, uh, we had found them, and uh, these, these families never did. Yeah, I remember when uh, your brothers uh, passed, and uh, I remember thinking, my goodness, what next? Yeah. You know, but back then kids played outside in the creek or in the hills or cave openings, and uh, it was frankly a great time to grow up in Hannibal. You know, it was great fun. We were outdoors all the time, but there are risks that come with that. And boys are especially prone to risks. Um, in my book, I have a chapter on teens and risk. And boys are much more uh, likely than girls, and this is no surprise, really. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> um, to, to take risks, and a lot of times they're willing to take great risk uh, to win the approval of their peers. Girls, on the other hand, uh, psychologists tell us, have much more of a quote-unquote wariness factor, and they're better at weighing risks before they jump in, you know, and, and do something. So um, when you lay that kind of psychology and the cognitive psychology now that we know about over this I issue, it's, uh, you know, dead on. Megan, when, when you and I started, one of the reasons why we started this, this podcast was that uh, there, were, there was no shortage of, of interesting people uh, connected with the Hannibal community to, uh, uh, to visit with uh, on this podcast, and we were not wrong, were we? No, we were not. I, I mean, this is, um, it, but as, as you say, you, you, were, you guys, you remember this firsthand. I have, I have heard about this in... Um, you know, just knowing Hannibal history, um, but it, it's, it's just hard to imagine the the, the manhunt that, that went on and um, the the calamitous situation. Like you said, the, the, the parents, the families not, not being able to have closure. Um, and Mark, Hannibal being, Missouri being the cave state, you know, Hannibal, of course, being known for Mark Twain Cave, which is a labyrinth-style cave, of course, uh, you know, Mark Mark Twain made famous the uh, you know great team by Tom and Becky and getting lost in the cave, which of course has a has a happy ending. But I think all you have to do is read about um, something like this, where there are a, a million passageways with, with with no light. With there, there's very there's a, that that fear of, of not not being able to escape. And, and these when all the passages look the same, when everything branches off into five or six directions. This is not a cave like people are, are thinking of. Um, that a lot of them you go visit, there's maybe one cavern. You go down a lot of stairs, and there's a giant um, cavern with stalactites and stalagmites. Like like you said, these these limestone labyrinth caves are, are a whole different animal. So um, just having that, uh, that, that background and, and that knowledge um, to help bring 
disclosure uh, and and bring the the true information to light. And uh, as you said, you have with so many um, different theories and misinformation over the last fifty years. I think um, any anyone who's interested at, at all in um, in Hannibal history um, in in this time in, in history, I think is, is going to just, they need to come and pick up your book. And, and how are they able to do that? Well, it's available on, on Amazon.com, but uh, it's also available at the Mark Twain Museum and at Mark Twain Caves gift shop. So it's it's available widely. And yes, Megan, I have an autographed copy of Lost Boys of Hannibal in my hand at this very moment. So so we're so we're so we're so we're good. Of course, yes. of course. The one time I'm not in the studio, that's that's when that's when the swag comes. Thanks a lot. Thanks well, a lot. It's Carl. it's here. Yeah, you any 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 time. Yeah, you wanna. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna dive into this and uh, yeah, whenever uh, uh, that opportunity comes, uh, yeah, most definitely. But uh, yeah, need people who who uh, are are history history buffs. If they're cavers, uh, this uh, is uh, you know, there are a number of uh, categories of folks to whom this would, uh, uh, to me, it would be a must read. Yeah, I'd like to do a shout out to, uh, before we finish this up, to all of the local people who helped, the non-cavers. I mean, there were um, women on the south side and all throughout the city who prepared food for these rescuers uh, for a month. And... Uh, Mothers and grandmas working in their kitchens during the morning, making lemonade and iced tea and bologna sandwiches and uh, putting them in a basket or box and carting them over to Southside Christian Church. This was a really remarkable Herculean effort to, to keep all these people fed and fueled pretty much around the clock. Sure. So it's, it was amazing. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and we've talked about that in previous podcasts about, you know, one of the things that makes Hannibal special, not just Hannibal, but the Midwest, you know, is, is the, um, the fact that people come together, they, they pull together as a community um, in, in times of trouble, and like you said, this Herculean effort to keep all of these people that are coming from around the country looking for these lost boys, keeping them fed, um, you know, making sure that they have a, a place to stay and, and, and lemonade and, and um it's just a, it's a full community effort, and people, you, you don't think twice about it. You, it's just something that you do. You know, your, your neighbors are in trouble or uh, someone in your community needs help, and, and people are there to, to make it happen. Yeah, it's a bittersweet story. Uh, the boys were never found, but, uh, you know, Hannibal and Quincy and the entire area can be very proud of the effort they made to help try to find them. Yeah. John Wingate. Thank you so much for joining us. We Thank you. It. it was great. Yes. And uh, uh, like I say, Megan, uh, these, uh, these interesting people that just uh, cross our path along the way, we, we, are, we, are, we are pretty blessed, aren't we? Most definitely. I mean, every, every time you, you, we have a new podcast or we have a new idea, you're like, you mean who, who's coming here? Oh, we get to talk to an author now? Oh, we get to talk to a, to a, a journalist that's been all over the country? Oh, it's just... It's been a it's been a joy and it's been a pleasure and I just want to thank John and, and our listeners for sticking with us and learning some wonderful new information and hopefully uh, adding another uh, must read to their book list. Well, thank you, Megan. Thank you, Harold. Yeah. And uh, of course, we would direct your attention to RivertownReview dot com, Rivertown Review on Facebook. If you have comments, suggestions, of course, leave us uh, reviews as you have left us so many 
but uh, if you have suggestions, uh, RivertownReview at gmail.com. We would also direct your attention to Rivertown Review, the radio show. Megan and I get together uh, to review the coming week's activities in Hannibal on uh, News Talk 1070, KHMO Radio in Hannibal, and KHMORadio.com. So it's available on the web as well. That's at 8.40 every Friday morning. Uh, but that will do it for Episode 10. I'm Harold Smith. And I'm Megan Rapp. And uh, again, thanks to John Wingate for joining us on Rivertown Review, the podcast. And we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us for Rivertown Review, the podcast. For more information on all things Hannibal, visit our website, rivertownreview.com. If you have comments, questions, or suggestions for future episodes, please email us at rivertownreview at gmail.com. And be sure and join Megan and Harold next time. For Rivertown Review, the podcast.